Should I go to Singapore if I need a hip replacement, or should I send my next patient there? Welcome to the Business of Medicine on the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. I was recently at the Healthcare Globalization Summit in Las Vegas, Nevada, and had a chance to speak to some of the keynote speakers. My guest today is Dr. Jason Yap, Director of Healthcare Services for Singapore Tourism Board. Dr. Yap is a public health physician with more than 18 years of operational and management experience. He is currently director in the Singapore Tourism Board and part of the multi-agency Singapore Medicine Initiative to promote, develop, and maintain Singapore as an international medical hub. Dr. Yap, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Well, I guess the first question is why Singapore versus Thailand or India? Well, it all depends on the patient's situation. Ultimately, patients do not travel for healthcare because of how excellent the healthcare is overseas. They travel because they can't get the healthcare they want at home. So the question then becomes, what is it they can't get? If it's an issue of quality, and many people come to Singapore because our quality of healthcare is higher than where they get in the hometown. So Singapore has been a major medical hub for patients in the Southeast Asia, in the Asian context, for quite a few decades already. For people coming from North America, the main issue would be cost, but cost without compromising quality. Our concept is we provide peace of mind when health really matters. So if it comes to simple procedures, there are many destinations that can provide it. When quality becomes a major issue, where it's life and death, where outcomes are really important, then they should consider Singapore because we have invested a lot into our own healthcare services. In fact, the main reason why we welcome international visitors is not because of the money we can earn, which is much of the motivation behind much of the medical travel industry today. But in our case, it's because we have four and a half million people, which is way too small to maintain the kind of services that we have. Consider that uh, we have got three liver transplant teams, and to keep three liver transplant teams going, the majority of our patients actually come from overseas. For us in Singapore, the consideration is our own people, actually, because if we do not have international patients, we will not be able to have certain services, certain subspecialties. So has the tourism actually spurred improvement of your own health care of your own people? Spurred may not be the way to phrase it. It has helped in many different ways. One is uh, there is a certain minimum size for medical ecology. Now, many medical subspecialties, we train our doctors overseas, they serve a catchment area of 50 million, 100 million. And when they come back, 4.5 million people, they actually don't have enough cases. And they have to do other stuff. That means that the microsurgical specialists would then have to do some general surgical cases as well. That's not good. So it has helped because we do need economies of scale. We need economies of scale to acquire technology as well. Why is your government so involved in this? And can you tell me a little bit more about the Singapore Medical Initiative? Well, Singapore Medicine is a government industry partnership. Unusual in our case, the governmental support is led by the Ministry of Health. You will find in most other countries it's led by the Ministry of Tourism or Trade. That goes back to the question of what I'm saying in the first place, because we are not seeing foreign patients instead of our local patients. We are seeing foreign patients in order to treat our local patients because we need economies of scale. We've got various government agencies involved. The three main ones, the Singapore Tourism Board, which manages international marketing and the medical travel industry within Singapore. There's also the Economic Development Board that does inbound investments. And another agency, International Enterprise Singapore, helps outbound investments. The whole purpose behind these economic agencies being involved is to integrate Singapore's healthcare into the world. 
because we realise that we cannot function on our own. We do need to be on an international platform in order to maintain the kind of services that we have. But for our own people. So what kind of growth are you seeing? What kind of numbers are you seeing? Is there year upon year sure. improvements? Well, in 1997, before the Asian financial crisis, we were seeing more than 300,000 patients a year. Now that's before the whole idea of medical tourism or medical travel hit the media. After the financial crisis, the numbers dropped. So in about 2002, we had something like 210,000 visitors a year. That was on the rise. 2004, it went up to 320,000. And in 2006, we had something like 410,000 visitors. So the numbers are increasing something like um, 15 to 20% a year. How does the American dollar affect prices overseas? Does it make it a better value for us to go there or a worse value? The American dollar... Traditionally, has always been... Traditionally, right. Yeah, but but in the last days, few months. Yeah, the last few months has been difficult, yeah. Then again, it all depends on the individual patient. There's a story of a, a lady who came from the USA for some breast cancer surgery. She had the treatment done. She stayed a while. She went to one of her neighboring countries to have a nice relaxing holiday for two weeks and she went back and followed up care and she came back to the USA. The entire cost of her trip all in, travel, mm-hmm. accommodation, everything, including the medical bills, was about 33,000 US dollars. Now, the quote she got in the USA for the surgery alone was $150,000. So yes, the weakening dollar has affected the cost comparisons, but the initial price gap is so big that it's still a good deal. How do uh, prices in Singapore versus let's say Thailand or India differ. Is it a better deal for me to go to Singapore to get my heart bypass? Or uh, you know, I'll, I'll if you shop you, around, what, who uh, wins? I'll give you two answers. <clears throat> if you look at the straight price comparisons, Singapore is probably about maybe 10, 20%, 30% higher than the other countries. But that's at the price for the trip itself or for the procedure itself. There are evacuation companies that prefer to send to Singapore because although the prices may be slightly higher in Singapore, the total bill is actually lower. Because turnaround is faster, patients get back to work earlier. Overall, because there's a greater assurance of quality, there's better returns in the larger picture and not just at the hospital bill level. Tell me about how you control for quality and how it's compared to American quality. Okay. Singapore has always been fairly well integrated into the United Kingdom and the U.S. healthcare systems because most of our specialists are trained overseas and and they come back. These days, we've got local degrees which are partnered with American universities and Duke University actually has got a medical school in partnership with our local university as well. So we are fairly well integrated and the quality of the differences are not great. You find that in terms of uh, accreditation, most of our hospitals are GCI accredited. We probably have the largest proportion of accredited hospital beds in the world as a percentage of all beds. If you look in terms of population outcomes, our life spans longer, about four years longer than the United States. If you look at specifics, um, I can give you one indicator. There was a 2005 study where uh, the ventilator-associated pneumonias for ICU cases. In the US, the mean is about 4.4 per thousand ICU days. Right? In Singapore, it's about 2.5. So basically, because we're much smaller, it's much easier to control, and there's much more line of sight, so to speak, between doctors. So it's hard for the quality. Do the patients actually see their nurse in Singapore? Because in the United States, it takes an hour once you buzz for the nurse to come to Uh, the room. Singapore has got, not only for the international patients, but for the local patients are very demanding. Mm-hmm. So really, yeah, it's very demanding, <laughs> yeah. and we have got a culture where it's very easy to write a letter of complaint. Mm-hmm. Every government department has got what they call a quality service manager. I was one before, which basically has got a hotline and you can call out to complain. So with that kind of culture, they turn up a lot faster. Okay. 
what kind of recourse does an American have mm -hmm. if something goes wrong? Can they sue? Can they have some sort of policy to pay for further care if they need it? Well, there are various measures that go around that. By and large, if services are provided in Singapore, the general idea is that uh, any legal suit would be in Singapore. Now, Singapore is rated one of the top countries in the world for legal integrity. So it's not a case of that it's difficult to get justice. Some definitions do differ because uh, what they can get in terms of compensation differs. We are based on the British legal system, so we don't have major provisions for mental anguish and suffering and, mm -hmm. and so on. But it's mostly in terms of liquidated damages. So the amount they get is much smaller, but they can get the judgment that they require. There have been some cases where foreigners actually won legal cases, provided they had a decent case in the first right, place. Right, right. Are any of the insurance companies in America, the Aetnas, the Cygnas, the Humanas, are any of them saying, you know what, this makes sense for us to start sending our patients over to Singapore? Any of them no. on board yet? Well, that is, uh, in the past few months, you find that Aetna, together with Hennefer Brothers, has a program where employees of Hennefer Brothers can find Asian healthcare. They only pick one hospital, and it's the National University Hospital in Singapore. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina also has what they call a companion program, which is not a funding mechanism, but a facilitation mechanism for patients to come to Asia. I think at this time, they have seven hospitals, of which three are in Singapore, the three hospitals of the Parkway Group. Do you think Medicare would ever consider something like this, or is that just too, <laughs> too out of the box for our government to think? Well, you're asking me to comment on another government, <laughs> but strictly speaking, I think that there are a lot of consequences of what could happen. If Medicare was approved, the main issue may not be Asian healthcare. It may be Latin American healthcare that they need to manage because who would they pay, who would they not pay, mm -hmm. and so on. There is a major issue of supply. While everyone's talking up the medical travel or medical tourism trade and how many billions of dollars there's going to be, I think there are serious concerns about supply. The hospitals which are joint commission accredited with beds to spare to accommodate American patients with the quality that American patients want, with the experience that they want, because there are some countries with excellent healthcare facilities, but the environment tends to be a lot harder to bear because there's poverty, there's squalor and so on. The number of available beds may not be that large, actually. So the to some extent, major corporations in the USA are sort of waiting for, for somebody else to take mm -hmm. the first step. And of course, Edna, Hannaford Brothers and Blue Cross Blue Shield has already started. But if they're waiting for someone else to, to take the step, the reality might be that uh, someone who's too slow may find that they have to move down market later on because right. they just enough, not enough beds to accommodate everybody. Dr. Yep, uh, last question is, can you summarize what changes you think need to take place to really cross the tipping point for global tourism medicine to really just explode and take off? Well, let me not answer that question and throw something else back at you. <laughs> because I think it's not about uh, medical travel, about patients moving around the world. What we are seeing here is the globalization of healthcare. What you have is not so much just patients traveling around the world, but also providers, professionals, payors, and we are all integrating across the world. Consider if you have, in, uh, I was talking to a Canadian yesterday, consider a US corporation, a US healthcare provider, let's say Chicago or in New York, inviting Canadians who have got difficulty with their waiting times to come to U.S. healthcare, but they will serve the patients in Asia. Let's say they partner with a Singaporean mm -hmm. provider. Interesting. Now, what happens then? They get to provide for the candidate who has got the waiting time issue. American health providers will be able to provide American health care in a Singapore facility mm -hmm. with American and Singapore speed at Singapore's quality of mm -hmm. care, which is something that the Canadian system cannot manage now. This American company will beat up the other American healthcare providers because their cost base will be a lot higher. 
they're going to be like the Canadian healthcare providers because their waiting times are a lot shorter. That's totally disruptive. Yes. So you may find that in 20 years' time, the healthcare world may be a lot more different from what it is today. 30, 40 years ago, 20 years ago, who would have thought that China or India would be the way they are in manufacturing and software engineering? But that's what's happening in healthcare today, and it's going to be interesting times ahead. Dr. Jason Yap, thank you very much for talking with us today. Thank you very much. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Business of Medicine on the Clinician's Roundtable. If you'd like to comment or listen to any of our library of podcasts, please visit our website at reachmd.com. Once there, if you register with the promo code RADIO, we will give you six months free of streaming ReachMD. You can listen to day or night. And thanks for listening.